Welcome, everyone, to episode 18 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Asborn, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. Today we have, you know, I think the last time we were live after the game was uh, not pleasant. It was the uh, Doug Eddings game. This was a little bit more routine for the Blue Jays, something that has not been, you know, common for them, having a nice, comfortable win. Kevin Gosman outstanding from start to finish. A little bit of a bullpen wobble at the very end there, but uh, as you're known to say, never really in doubt tonight. Um, well, that's close to what. It's close to what I would say. Yeah, uh, it is. It is. Um, it was extremely refreshing, uh, and I think really uh, batted back some of the waves of doom that were uh, that, that were taking over the fan base. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier when Kevin Gosman is pitching and he's pitching like that than uh, uh, than you know. Whatever's going to happen when you say Kikuchi pitches on Thursday, which it sounds like he might be lined up to do still. Uh, but we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, it was great. They scored a bunch of runs. Kevin Gosman was great. Connor Siebold and his, uh, and his little mustache <laughs> had a lot of great frustrated looks at the camera. I've been taking, I've been taking screen grabs all night. I'm going to put some of those together as opposed to like writing a bunch about anything other than Gosman and the offense because that, uh, that was the story. Yeah, I, I didn't think Gosman in particular because the offense, yeah. you know, even though the Blue Jays have struggled a little bit of late, you know, not only do we know that the true talent of the offense is really high, and we've known that even when they weren't scoring tons of runs, they've been producing consistently. And, you know, there's the odd game, obviously, when they get run into a hot pitcher, but this is a lineup you can trust right now. Coming to this game, I think we generally believed Gosman was a pitcher you could trust, and you could look at his season-long numbers, and they would tell you the story that he'd been a top-of-the-rotation starter, and even, you know, coming into this game, still a fringe Cy Young candidate, but it definitely didn't feel like that uh, until all of a sudden it did. I mean, that is, you know, his last outing was encouraging, but there's a difference between encouraging and dominant, and in this one, he was truly dominant. Yeah, he was. And, I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, you, you can't necessarily see this stuff, but he did talk about having some fatigue the last time, or not the last time, but, you know, during that little ebb that he had, uh, and that sort of he came out of it uh, in his, his previous start. Um, and just the, the life on his fastball, the way he was using his fastball, he didn't, he certainly didn't look like a guy who, you know, felt fatigued and couldn't adjust and, and all that stuff that he was saying, you know, when it was kind of like going sideways on him a little bit, uh, which, you know, I'm just sort of interpreting from what I saw through my TV. Uh, he'll talk to reporters after the game. I'm sure he'll he'll if he addresses it. I would I would suspect that he'll say uh, that he was feeling real good because uh, that, that's certainly how it looked. Yeah, and you know he's probably not going to get by. You know, he, I think he had ten whiffs on his fastball tonight. I don't think that's going to be consistent for him. But the way he was using it was really encouraging. I thought he did a really good job on the inside part of the plate and even kind of crowding guys inside. And that's something a lot of, you know, we hear a lot from commentators when we roll our eyes about like, oh, they got to pitch people inside and blah, blah, blah. And that's not really what the game is anymore, arguably. But I did like how he did that. And because he's got really good control and command with that pitch, like he's able to do it consistently all night long. And that's where he got quite a few of his strikeouts when, you know, Alec Manoa likes to do that, right? And then we end up with him, you know, hitting tons of batters, although that has been less so the case in 2022. Because Gosman's command is so sharp, he's able to use areas off the plate that a lot of other guys don't. And even though through the game, I don't think we would have thought of this as kind of, you know, one of his top splitter games where it looked truly unreal. He still got 17 swings on 31 splitters, you know, most of them outside the strike zone and seven whiffs there. So 
even though this game was more about the fastball, you know, I think what the other pitches were doing was also really good. And, you know, the slider is not the best sometimes, but that's hard to complain about. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to complain about anything. The velocity <laughs> was good. The results were good. And both of those two main pitches look great. Yeah, I I think you're totally right. And uh, yeah, the ability to locate around the zone, pitch inside, you know, pitch down with the fastball was good. Like just the way that he used it. I mean, it was a lot. Uh, and I think what we talked about, you know, when he was struggling, when we were thinking about maybe he was tipping pitches, uh, which they talked about on the broadcast, where I think Hazel said uh, uh, he's using a bigger glove, which might, uh, which which he thinks could help. And and, and I, I believe I tweeted a. Uh, Picture of Homer Simpson with the with the giant glove, his secret his secret weapon. When one of his coworkers thinks, "Oh, he's just going to have the most enormous glove in the world," which I wholly encourage Kevin Gossman to continue to do. Just uh, just start by start, like your uh, like David Byrne and stop making sense. Just the glove gets bigger and bigger. Uh, talk to me, Kevin. Uh, but uh, uh, you know uh, the predictability was an issue, I think, for him. Right? It was like, and that was what we talked about coming out of that Twins game, where he didn't look great and he really didn't have anything to work with. He couldn't use the fastball. He couldn't use the splitter. Like uh, it was like fastballs high, splitters low. They were laying off everything low. Uh, and this time he sort of worked the fastball all around the zone. And it's it's nice to see a guy who's you know all around the zone with his fastball, but it's actually you know, on the edge or, or in the zone, as opposed to, say, a Kikuchi where, uh, you know, the, the fastballs come in all around zone, but uh, he doesn't know where any of them are going at any particular moment, which is, you know, frustrating to watch. But, yeah, so I think, though, you know, he could it, it could become predictable. It could become a pattern if he continued to do it exactly the same way, uh, but that he's able to do that and mix it up and work in other pitches and maybe even when he doesn't have his best splitter. Uh, yeah, what's not to like? That was just a, that was a great performance. Yeah, and I think that sometimes that fastball low has been presented as a bit of a silver bullet for him. And you know, I push back on that a little bit because his fastball it doesn't move a ton. It's a bit straight, so when the velocity isn't great, like it's easy for me to envision someone doing pretty bad damage on it if it's not elevated. But you do have to have some level of mixing it up. And I think that part of the issue with the splitter has been in recent games is there haven't been enough of those that are kind of close to nibbling at the bottom of the zone. Like I know the splitter is mm-hmm. famous for diving into the dirt and he gets a lot of sort of his highlight real K's for lack of a better term from that. Um, but I thought in this game, he did a better job of mixing in some of those ones that came in. Yes, they were out of the strike zone, but they were competitive strikes and that makes such a huge difference for him. You know, sometimes he will get those ones in the dirt and he will make guys look totally silly. But when he challenges the strike zone, and he got a couple of calls on them too. Like he had those ones that were just below the zone and he got strikeouts out of them and he didn't you know, necessarily deserve those strikeouts, quote unquote, but they were good pitches because they were competitive strikes. And um, when he's able to do that with a splitter, it's a dangerous pitch. He's going to get the odd call and he's going to get guys chasing a little, at it a little bit more. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It does. It, it can't just be the ones in the dirt. It, it, it really can't. Um, but yeah, so great, great, great stuff. Great stuff. Gave him a lot of innings, which was super desperately needed. Uh, you know, uh, Sean Anderson gave them an inning, which uh, will be a nice little uh, thing. We can tell him Greg gets about uh, that is probably going to get. Hey, uh, that's not fair. He's, he's made some MLB appearances before. Okay. He has. Uh, no, he's. I mean, whatever. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked too hard as as to who's going to lose their roster spot when uh, when Mr. Romo shows up. But uh, uh, it we'll, seems like a good candidate. We'll get to that. Um, but we have Jonathan on the line. So we'll oh, yeah. Talk to Jonathan. 
on mute. There we go. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Okay, sweet. I finally figured this out. Hey, uh, long time, long time reader, and happy to be calling in after a big win like that. I just want to take a bit of a long view and get you guys' thoughts. Stoughton, I've always appreciated your kind of long view articles of the organization. Here we are sitting in 2022, and you know maybe after this weekend, I feel I feel like a, a bit of a higher level of desperation to make some moves. Right, some some sensing that we're really in the thick of the window of this core. And that moves really need to be taken where there's, you know, probably some pitching shortfalls, maybe left-handed batter as well. And I, it makes me go, you know, how, this feel, this is feeling a bit like, you know, cusp of 2015-ish. And what I mean by that is it's a front office recognizing what they've got in front of them and that, you know, the prime is not down the road, but it's rather right in front of them. And, with that, what I'm wondering is, is when we think about Atkins coming in and castigating uh, Alex Anthopoulos about trades that were made, etc., maybe really what it is is there's a life cycle through these development, through these contention windows, and you can pick around the edges, you can get your Romos, you can get your whatever guys, but when you're in the thick of that window, and in retrospect, we know that 15 team was at the tail end of its window you do go all in and if i think i think us as ardent followers of the jays we would be pissed if they weren't willing to go all in when we saw that the window was right here and now with this group as well just want to get your thoughts on that yeah i, I think that's a great question oh sorry nick i wasn't sure if you were going to go <laughs> that's that's uh go for it yeah that's yeah. doing live radio for different rooms um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's a great question. I think that you're right that people will be pissed. I mean, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what you know what all in means. All in means different things to different people. I think, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, like are, are we trading? Like, are we trading Gabriel Moreno? Are we trading or Elvis Martinez? I mean, there are, there are, there are degrees to which one can be all in, which is sort of like. Uh, a misnomer, I guess, because of, or whatever. I don't know what what term is, is it should I should reserve for it. But you know, if you're like if you're all in, you're all in, and that means you know that that doesn't really there shouldn't have degrees. Uh, but I think it does. Um, but yeah, I think that you know with the with the window that they have ahead of them, with the uh, you know where the development system is, the fact that they have some draft picks extra coming this uh, this year. Uh, because of Simeon and, and Robbie Ray, uh, I think that, that it's, a, it's a good spot for them to do things like that. And I think they've already shown that they've done things like that, right? Like the Barrios trade last year, given up, they gave, you know, we, we called it, kind of called it nothing, but like Gunnar Hoagland was a first round pick. There, there was some, there was some talent that they absolutely uh, gave up to, to get Matt Chapman, Um you know, it, it's frustrating that they haven't been able to do more than just sign Tony Romo. Tony Romo, Jesus Christ. Uh, Sergio Romo. They can't uh, afford Tony Romo. <laughs> that's true. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, they they could definitely do more. It's frustrating they haven't. Um, but I do think those sort of bigger things are to come. And it's, uh, you know, the doom and the and the people sort of getting worried that they're, you know, they're in the thick of it or falling out of the thick of it. Um I think just have to be a little more patient because there, there, there are going to be things that happen, you know, between now and, and the deadline, which I think is August 2nd this year. One thing that Jonathan touched on, that I think is important to acknowledge. And we talked about this a lot last season that, you know, 2021 sort of represented a unique opportunity. And that was about Marcus Simeon and it was about Robbie Ray, but 
it's easy to say our core is all these young players. We have Bichette, we've got Guerrero, we've got Alejandro Kirk, um, you know, we've got Moreno now coming through the system. There's a lot of guys we have for quite a while, and therefore, you know, we can be patient, and each individual year doesn't have an outsized importance. But there's also the fact that, you know, George Springer is at the height of his powers. Other than Alec Manoa, there's no starter that you know about that is under 30 necessarily. Uh, you've got guys like Teoscar Hernandez and Matt Chapman who, you know, you'd like to think that you retain them, but you don't know. And if you do, it's going to cost you significantly more than they cost now. Guerrero, Kirk, and Bichette, you know, some point in the not-too-distant future are going to cost money, especially Guerrero. <laughs> I, love that, um, I love that Kirk is now in that group, by the way, just, just as an aside. I mean, all, AL All-Star starter. He needs to be he does. Know, as part of that group. Absolutely. Um, so there are things about this particular moment. I know that the Yankees being so dominant in 2022 has made this season feel like less of an opportunity because the division feels less attainable. But there are things going on with the Blue days right now that are positive conditions for the team to succeed that may not necessarily be the same in the future. It may be a little bit harder for them to bring on certain veterans because these young guys now have their extensions and cost more money, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, Springer is maybe has worse worsening health. Like, I don't want to you know, paint this doom and gloom scenario, but I think it's easy to get into a position where you think, oh, our players are young, therefore we will be good forever, and there just aren't guarantees that way. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, for sure. Uh, there is a, a balancing act, which is why I say, you know, they're, they, they, they should be all in, and yet there are degrees to which. I, well, let's not rehash whatever I rambled about there, but you know what I mean. Um, one thing that was touched on in that call that, we oh well we we got Ed calling in right now so I don't want to enter we don't have to go down the whole Sergio Romo thing before we hear Ed's call unless it's about Sergio Romo <laughs> yeah thanks Ed go ahead uh, my call is not about Sergio Romo so I All apologize right. for that <laughs> um, I, I guess my big question for this year and you guys were just talking about the division there how how much how much of a problem are these Yankees do are they this good I don't think they're this good. But they're, they seem much better than I thought they were going to be going into this year. And, you know, it's hard not to look at the standings and kind of feel like the Jays are likely to end up in one of the three wild card spots. But um, I'm just wondering, in, you know, the DS or the CS, like, are, you know, anything can happen in playoff baseball. But I mean, these Yankees look very scary. And I just like someone to tell me that they're not as good as, <laughs> as they seem. <laughs> Uh, I could, I think I could do that. I, I mean, I don't think that they're, you know, look, they're great. The record's great. They're, they're, they're on merit. I mean, it's, it's been fun the whole time, you know, through the whole season so far. The first half of the season, which I guess on Monday, there was Pat and, Pat and Dan were saying on the broadcast on Monday's uh, the 81st game, which is wild to think. Um, you know, making the jokes about the strengths of their schedule and the joke stadium and the weird home runs and stuff. But uh, it's a really good team. I was looking through some of their stats earlier because, you know, this is a, this is a talking point. Uh, you know, their bullpen, uh, they're, 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 everybody's doing really well. Uh, they do seem to have, like, you know, guys who throw really, really hard all the time. There's some walks in there. There's some maybe question marks in there. I, I uh you know the rotation. I I don't know. If, uh, it, it, Nestor Cortez has been doing it for so long now. You know, not not like not Jose Perillo's long, but like he's been uh, he's been really good for a while. But I still wonder how the hell that works. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, you know, fine, cool, uh, and then uh, you know, I, 
these these aren't like this isn't like playing the the an all star team every day. You know, uh, you know what they're on pace for in terms of record is like historic, right? Or or among the greatest of all time. And and they have some really really good players and a really good roster, and they've been well. You know, well run, and there's a, lot of, a good player development system, and they they find guys in trades and turn them into these bullpen monsters. Though, if you look, there's maybe not as much swing and miss as you think in the bullpen. Uh, and there's also, you know, uh, you know, Gallo's not hitting. Marwin Gonzalez isn't hitting. Hiroshioka never hits. Uh, you know, the Kyner Falefa, Josh Donaldson's a league average hitter. Um, there's someone else in there too. Like, there's a lot of guys who are going really, really well. But it's like, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't think you can cede the division to them if you're the Blue Jays yet, though the Yankees have already banked so many wins. Uh, but I don't think you also like treat them as though they're uh, they're what their you know their their pace is yet. You know, to to be one of the greatest teams of all time, you got to do it over 162, not 80 games or whatever it's been so far. Yeah, I mean the Yankees are really good. They banked a lot of wins, like you said, and the division feels like it's getting close to out of reach. Maybe it's not there. We can split hairs on exactly what terminology we want to use there. It'll take a lot to go in the Blue Jays' favor for them to win the division at this point. And so for that reason, the Yankees kind of weigh heavily on their chances because winning the division is a better route into the playoffs. But as you said, anything can happen with playoff baseball. We saw so many Dodgers teams that looked truly unstoppable and stacked. You know, the one where they got Manny Machado, uh, where they got right. you Darvish at the deadline and already had incredible teams. Like we've seen teams that I think were of a higher true talent quality than this team in recent years not win the World Series. That's just the way things work. You know, I think back to even team Yankees teams that lost to the my not well to the Florida Marlins in 2003 and the Arizona Diamondbacks teams that seemed to be inferior to them. This is just what happens in playoff baseball. So I think the discouraging thing about the Yankees from a Blue Jays perspective is how it affects their chances of winning the division, which are now quite slim and they're the way they get into the playoffs potentially. But once they're there, uh, we know anything can happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe this is something I'll, I'm just clinging to just to make myself feel better, but I, I want, I'm, I'm curious about how uh, the buys are going to work and whether that, you know, it screws with the, the teams that get buys enough that it, 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 erases some of the advantage i'd still want to be the team that gets one that doesn't have to play the uh uh the the play-in portion of the the ds or whatever however we we call it um but that'll be interesting to see and you know what uh looking forward to their stumble we have uh we have joe on the line i don't know if we do we already have a joe but it doesn't matter we know we know this joe he's on uh he's on frequently and uh, always a pleasure thanks joe uh, you're welcome. I just wanted to say, you know, coming into this season, I was pretty high on Alejandro Kirk, and it was hard not to considering, you know, just the way he hits the ball hard and everything. But I think the thing that's really been uh, impressing me over these past two months where he's been hot is just how dependable he is. Like, no matter what kind of pitch it is, no matter where it is, and no matter what the count is, he always seems to just hit the ball hard. And it's been really crazy. And it's been pretty, like, I haven't expect, I didn't expect him to hit this well for so long. No, I, I you know, I, you know, the Blue Jays have been high on him for a long time. I don't, I, I don't think they would have expected him to hit this well for so long. Maybe they'd tell you something different, but yeah, it's even, you know, last year, the number, you know, he had the injury with the hip and, the numbers weren't quite 
there. They're certainly not the way they were are right now, but like they weren't even where I think a lot of people maybe expected them. But I think you're right that you know you could see the underlying stuff. You could see that he strikes the ball very hard, and it's very hard to throw the you know balls past him. So uh, so you know, and so that just really bodes well. And I, I remember looking at in the you know in the off season. And looking during last season at like expected stats and stuff like that, and and where he was underperforming them, and thinking, well, maybe it's because he's slow. You know, he's you know there's there are doubles turning into singles. You know, not many, not as many infield hits. Maybe that's why. And that's just something that's going to. And now this year he's just hitting. He hits the ball so hard that it's like, you know, it eats infielders up. And he's getting infield hits, and he's hitting to all fields, and he's hitting for power, and it's uh, uh, and it's just an incredibly fun guy. To, to cheer for and also Nick as you were tweeting during the the game uh, the framing has been has been you know noticeably better like from 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 you know from the TV as you know for myself as a layman about this right like it's uh, you can see the work that he's doing in the bottom of the zone to steal strikes and to, uh, you know or to at least keep the umpires as honest as they can be when Doug Eddings isn't in there um, and that's been really impressive too and you know there's not you know you're not you're not worrying about him having to block balls. You know, it's not like, oh, everything is an adventure. Like, he's just much more sound fundamentally defensively right now as well, which is which is why he's the all-star starting catcher or is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to risk some bad audio here and read maybe more numbers than people would like. But I don't think people realize the degree to which he was doing a lot of the stuff that's positive last year. Like, a lot of the same stuff. Like, last year's walk rate was 10.1%. You know, this year it's a better 12.3, but that's not a huge difference. Last year, the strikeout rate, 11.6, like really low. Jeez. This year, 9.7, <laughs> you know, better. Like these are these are improvements, but it's not radical. Like last year, we think of the power that we're seeing from him as being really abnormal. But last year, his ISO was 194. This year, it's 203. Huh. So How about that? He's doing a lot of the same stuff that we know he can do. He's getting a little bit more luck. Last year, his luck was brutal. You mentioned the expected stats. You know, I did a piece before the season as I thought that he was a breakout candidate for the Blue Jays offensively. And part of it was right. expected stats and how, you know, a lot of the things that you said anecdotally about him being slow on the doubles, like that logic was in my head as well. But when I go, went to kind of watch the film, I didn't actually see a lot of that. And so I figured, I mean, I'm not going to claim I figured this would happen because that would be wild. Um, but a lot of the foundation was laid last year, even with when he had some injuries. And it just seems like he's doing a lot of the same things that he did last year, but just better with a little bit more luck. And that's kind of what you'd expect from a hitter who's, you know, 23, right? Like he, he's still so young. And the fact that he's making improvements, even if maybe they're a little bit more incremental than people would initially think is not surprising because he's at an age where he's still getting better and better at the plate. And I, you know, I'm excited to see, you know, often guys play discipline gets better as they get older. Like how good can he get in terms of the walk strikeout rates and stuff like that? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what his ceiling is in that regard, because most guys who are 22, 23 aren't doing something even close to this. True. I mean, it's also, you know, long-term, it's going to be interesting to see where it peaks and where it starts to dip, but uh, uh, we don't have to worry about any of that just yet. All right. Well, we are, we're out of callers for now, um, but you guys are encouraged to come in whenever you want. We do have to address the transaction in the room. We like to get to transactions early uh, in a podcast. Sean Anderson, we don't have to talk about that sort of a transaction, but Sergio if you, if you want, if you want to talk about Sean Anderson, I mean, I, I've, I've lied on Twitter before. I'll lie on Twitter again. 
no, I'll I'll let you be an honest man for one more day. Uh, you know, Sergio Romo, it's the sort of thing where it gets people's eyes rolling because it's like, oh, we have a big problem and here's a small solution. So I understand why people are inherently going to be frustrated by that. The reality is you're always working and churning the edges of your roster. You're always looking for these marginal upgrades and trying to find someone that can help you. Is Roma the guy who can help the Blue Jays? You know, I don't think I'm the only person who's skeptical about that. Nope. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's creeping up on 40. He doesn't throw hard. He's really got the one pitch. He's got the sweeping slider. When it works, it can be pretty compelling. Uh, when it doesn't work, it can be pretty ugly. And he hasn't been very good since kind of 2020. That being said, last year, and I think you were tweeting about this or in, in your piece you wrote about this, there was some encouraging sort of contact management stuff with him that sort of flew below the radar because he had some bad luck. But I don't know. I, I have a hard time hanging my hat on one reliever season worth of relatively soft contact. Like soft contact's a hard thing to buy into. We talk about it with Manoa all the time, whether we're even sure that that's going to be his skill to this level. If we're talking about yeah the 2021 season and Romo managing that, I don't know if that's something that uh, I'm feeling too confident about. Yeah, it's kind of the dead cat bounce is what you're hoping for, I think. Here, uh, though, I mean, the velocity thing is you know, is obviously scary, but that's that's who he is. That's what he's been for a long time. You know, he's just flipping sliders in, uh, and he was doing that when he was really good, and and uh, now it is it has not gone quite so well. Uh, you know, as we saw, I mean, obviously a completely different guy, but like as we saw with uh, Hyunjin Ryu, uh, you know, the you can you can look at the velocity all you want, but sometimes you know the, the you can continue to throw it as hard, but not with as the the kind of precision that you need, uh, which could be you know what happens, and that's sort of a thing that happens as guys get older and their bodies break down. You just you know you just you just can't do it anymore. Uh, I don't know if that's what this is for for Romo. As I wrote in my piece, I mentioned Jason Grilly, who was you know much more more recently successful when the Blue Jays uh, acquired him in 2016. Obviously, a very different kind of pitcher, but I think I said like conceptually, it's it's similar. It's a guy who is just you know struggling and is is on his was on his way to a DFA in Grilly's case and and was DFA in Romo's case, uh, uh, where you're like, all right, there could be something here. You take a chance on it. Uh, and 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 there's you know there's no I mean like who's Romo bumping out of the Blue Jays bullpen to get you know a handful of looks um, not I think anybody that we're we're super concerned about uh, so you know you know Sean Sean Anderson notwithstanding I mean I'm sure he uh, you know he'll he'll tell his grandkids about that one as well um, so I you know take a look and, and I know that confidence is low in uh, the Blue Jays uh, transformational pitching uh, uh, system at the moment uh, given that uh, Kikuchi has not exactly become Robbie Ray as yet and that Jose Barrios has kind of uh, not been able to be you know led back uh, into into being able to perform the way that we all expect him to um, so that maybe makes it a little bit different. Like, you know, if this was happening last year, it'd be like, Hey, sure. Pete Walker will coach him up and it'll, it'll all be fine. But, um, you know, realistically, yeah, I, I, I don't expect much, but, uh, but I think it's worth taking a look and then maybe we'll see Adrian Hernandez after that. Uh, and it at least sort of buys them a little bit of time before, uh, uh, you know, to, to continue to, to, to like check the market and work the market and try to get something, you know, tangible, something real uh, that can genuinely help them in the bullpen, because obviously they need that. 
I think the point you make about how people have lost faith in the Blue Jays sort of pitching, you know, development may be the wrong word, but at the major league level, there used to be a notion that the Blue Jays could take kind of troubled, distressed pitchers and, you know, turn them into something great. And even earlier in the season with Kikuchi, uh, when he kind of made his cutter and slider into one pitch, and you could really draw a lot of the Robbie Ray comparisons. And that was an article that I was thinking of writing in detail, and I got beat to it. I'm really glad I did. Um, I didn't have my name on that. Um, so, but now there is a different vibe. Like if you on Twitter, I saw you know Pete Walker trending the other day, and I always used to laugh when I'd see Pete Walker trending because it'd be any pitcher having any good outing. And I, you know, I consistently thought, thought that the Pete Walker effect, uh, you know, not to diminish that he had some utility for the team. He definitely did. And he played a role in some of the pitchers performance, but I think we gave too much credit to Pete Walker. And now people are turning around and giving too much blame to Pete Walker. You know, he's one, not only is he one cog in a bigger apparatus, also there's only so much coaching can do. And, if you want to read between the lines a little bit on some of the Montoyo stuff with Kikuchi and how, you know, Kikuchi gets the treatment where like, I'm not going to defend him. I'm not going to make excuses for him. And Barrios gets the, like, he's working hard and he's going to be great and whatever. Like it's not too hard to come up with the idea that, uh, you know, coaching gets through to some guys more than others and is only so powerful. Yeah, that's all been really interesting. I think, right? The, because because Charlie is, is Mr. Positive Vibes, and uh, you know we have we have kind of seen that. And it's it's hard to it's hard to it's hard not to get that idea in your head, but it's also impossible to know what's really going on. Um, but yeah, that's going to be an interesting situation. I mean, they got the double header coming up uh, with the race on Saturday. That's going to be. Uh, they're going to need pitchers. They're going to need, you know, they're going to need to go into the minors and, or, or into their bullpen to have a starter anyway, right? I mean, they have no days off, uh, and so they're going to. So, so it sounds like they may run with Kikuchi anyway. It sounds like that that uh, that they don't really feel like putting him in the bullpen just yet is uh, is a thing that's going to happen. Though they've kind of left the door open for it based on what I've read so far, uh, before and after this game against the Red Sox. Um, which will be interesting, which is sort of, you know, <laughs> asking, for, asking for it, I think. But also, you know, it, it, when you already have Thomas Hatch, who's going to be, you know, for example, starting on Saturday, or Max Castillo, or, you know, start going down the line of, like, really uninspiring long relief kind of options to, to take up innings at some point. I don't know how far down the depth chart has Kikuchi gone if he's if he can't even get a start when you're literally handing it to just about anyone off the street. So I think we might see him again, and that will be interesting. And uh, it may be the last test for a little while in the starting rotation for him, but uh, uh, there's still that chance for that Pete Walker magic. One more chance. Well, I mean, it's going to be more than one more chance. I think it will uh, over the yeah. long term. Yeah, uh, you know, he's he signed a fairly sizable contract. He is talented too. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like we're watching, you know, the exact opposite of him right now is Casey Lawrence, who is killing it in AAA uh, with absolutely no MOB talent whatsoever. And he, you know, it's possible that he could come up for the Blue Jays and he could fill some innings at some point. You know, we've seen a lot of pitchers have, you know, palatable stretches kind of regardless of their stuff and talent, just because that can happen. Um, and, but you said the Blue Jays alternatives are not great. 
The Max Castillo of it all is a little bit interesting because there seemed to be some drumbeat building after that one relief appearance. <laughs> I would uh, I would warn caution. I know Castillo's funny because he's a guy that in 2019 he really started sort of catching my eye as a guy who wasn't showing up on prospect lists but was putting up interesting good results at a young age. Um, and so I always, I, you know, I kind of put him in the back of my mind, like, oh, maybe that's someone to remember who might be good someday, even though people aren't talking about him. And then in 2021, he came out in double A and he just wasn't really good at all. And I kind of said, okay, well, we can close the book on my interest in Max Castillo. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, he's bounced back and he's been good you know, this season in the minors. And interestingly, he's started striking a bunch of people out, which is something he hasn't really done since rookie ball. Uh, you know, he's got the fastball changeup thing going and he throws a changeup to righties too. And that's always fun to see. But at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about a guy who has, you know, was never a big prospect and has 27 career innings at AAA. So the fact that he's even being considered as someone who you would start over a person you gave, you know, tens of millions of dollars to on a multi-year contract. Like three months far, ago. Yeah. yeah shows how far <laughs> down this road we've walked. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, yeah, cause he was, it sounds like the Jays are being cautious. And uh, I think Pete Walker was, uh, was talking to reporters today and said, you know, they'd like to get him, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe have a pitch with a lead. Once, for example, I think was was something that came up, uh, which I think makes sense. Like you don't want to throw a guy into the fire, um, and yet uh, you know that the, you know that fire will come when uh, if if you let Kikuchi pitch again. Uh, he does need to work that work it out. I mean, he's not going to the minors. He's not going to get outrighted. I know there's been like sort of fantasy stuff about that. Uh, I really don't think that's possible. He would have to consent to it. I don't. You know, why why would he do that? Um, the phantom injury thing. I mean, yeah, you really want to like you, you can you do see maybe more you know the odd guy who's not on that kind of free agent contract who is like okay okay skip I'll go. You know, Kevin Biggio went down and and uh, you know he had COVID but he ended up staying in Buffalo quite a bit longer and then ended up actually being optioned. Um, I, I don't I don't know that Kikuchi's going to be a guy who uh, goes goes and rides the bus from Buffalo to Scranton. You know. Um, so they got to figure out a way to make this all work because he's not going anywhere. And, uh, <laughs> it just, it's, it's not a great spot to be in to think that they may have to start him against the Rays. Um, because it really does feel like the bullpen is the better, the better place for him to be. But it's, uh, uh, just with the, the numbers game, I think that you know, they may, they may have to do it. At the same time though, Again, because he has these tools, because he's got the velocity, uh, because he's got you know he's got that split change is pretty interesting. The newfangled slider thing, you know, I, this is a hard time for me to sell. You say Kikuchi, to yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> but there, there's quite a bit there, and like it, you know, it would not shock me if he came out and threw five innings against the Rays and only gave up two runs. And I know that's yeah. not anyone's yeah. idea of a masterpiece. Uh, but I don't think he's so far gone. I mean, the guy we always use as a touchstone, which is kind of funny and a bit of a shame for him, is Tanner Roark, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you watched a couple of his starts, and it was just not MOB caliber stuff. And it was now you could argue that Kikuchi has shown non MOB caliber command or control, 
But the reality is that he, you know, about a year ago today, he was performing at an all-star level. Uh, You know, a bit questionable, all-star, Mariners, yada, 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 participation trophies, everyone's got to have one, etc. But he was performing at a high level. And we've seen him this season, you know, not that long ago, perform at a pretty high level. So I understand why they keep rolling him out. Uh, I think Montoyo, part of the Montoyo thing is that if you hear managers talk about any pitchers, like they really want to have a guy like Montoya will undersell his best pitchers and he'll say, you know, Alec Manoa gave us a chance to win today. Like he'll throw eight <laughs> out in it and he'll be like, Oh yeah, he gave us a chance to win. But I do think that on some level that's a binary that Montoya thinks along, like the did the guy give us a chance to win or not? And when Kikuchi gives them two or three innings, in his mind, that's like a big red no. He did not give us a chance to win because I had to eat the whole bullpen. And that's valid because they basically haven't won whenever Kikuchi's on the mound. But I think for a manager in particular, the kind of frustrations associated with this pitcher might be even deeper than it is for some people. Although, you know, the people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, would argue that their frustrations as a fan are equally intense. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that's totally fair. I think that's uh, that's an interesting point. Well, we'll see. We don't need to talk about Kikuchi the whole time here. Uh, there will be lots of time to talk about that, I guess, down the line. Yeah, I mean, we're we're nearing the end here. We'll leave Kikuchi on the shelf. One, another guy uh, that we haven't talked about much since the last time we were doing a podcast is Jordan Romano, who has not pitched in a long time. Um, he got up today. And there's a scenario where he came in. I think that you know Montoya sometimes likes to pitch to the save. So if you had gotten the save situation, you might have seen Romano. He had a troubling outing in his last one. I don't think it's fair to say you know his velocity was down. It's been up and down this year. He's kind of got the Manoa thing, so you can't trust it year to you know day to day. But if you were feeling you know conspiracy theory ish. Uh, you might say last time we saw Romano, he was bad. His velocity was down, and we haven't seen him since. Is there any part of your brain that that tickles? Uh, I mean, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I, 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 but also, I mean, I don't know how many days it was ago. Uh, but I mean, if there's something they like, they could use the extra spot if they really, you know, if they if they're if they're carrying him something while he's going through something and not putting him on the IL, uh, then that that seems to be. Uh, self-defeating, right? I mean, that 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 would not be a good idea. Uh, though, you know, if they think it's minor, if they, hypothetically, of course, uh, if they thought that there was something minor, yeah, yeah, maybe there could be something to it. But it's not like there's been situations to use him either. So, um, I don't know. And like you say, he's been up and down all year. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see him come out and uh, just be fantastic uh, the next time he's asked to pitch. Okay, before we get out of here, um, you know, I think it's well documented when we started this podcast. We had a pet prospect in Alec Manoa. That's gone pretty well for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just <laughs> wanted to pitch you uh, a possible next pet prospect. And, you know, there's a lot of people on the Ricky Tiedemann train. And, you know, we, we did our fair share of Morenoing. And we were maybe more skeptical about Aurelvis Martinez than some, which I think has borne some fruit this season because he hasn't been fantastic. But I know you wrote about him, and I've got a piece coming on him tomorrow. I'm getting irrationally interested in Yasver Zaleta. Um, and I know that that's, you know, not the big, you know, he's kind of in the teens ranking among Blue Jays prospects. He's not the sexiest name. 
He's got, you know, Julian Merriweather vibes in the sense of being an exceedingly unlucky man who got signed by the Blue Jays, had Tommy John immediately, which they kind of knew, and then ended up tearing his ACL three pitches into his uh, minor league career. But he's back this season, and over the weekend he got the promotion to double A. Normally we're talking about a 24-year-old pitcher. We are not excited about the fact he's going to double A, but he's a bit of a different beast because he's one of the few guys in this uh, minor league system that, you know, he throws 99 and, uh, well, he can top out at 99. He throws high to mid nineties as a starter. And we've talked about the blue Jays bullpen all season, the need for that guy who misses bats, that power element that Merriweather and Pe- uh, and Pearson were unable to step in and provide. And it would not shock me if in a couple of months we get a late season call up for, uh, Zuleta and he goes from sort of human mystery box to, um, yeah, big fan favorite slash quasi important bullpen piece. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's uh, probably what you know. I, I think that they obviously you know he was always going to move quickly as a twenty four year old. He was pitching in high. He started the year in, in single A, I guess they call it. They don't they don't do the low A thing anymore. Um, but but yeah, obviously the age, like you said, is different because he missed so much time with the ACL with the Tommy John. Uh, you know, this is a guy who, uh, who, as I noted in my piece, was uh, uh, they, they when they traded Dwight Smith Jr. and Kendris Morales in uh, the spring of 2019, I guess, or 2018, whatever year that was. Uh, they used the they used that bonus pool money to get him under the you know signed under the wire before the next international signing period uh, uh, began. Uh, so that's the that's that's Kendris uh, still paying off uh, all these years later potentially. Great signing. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it'll, you know what? It, it, it tilts, it tilts it a little bit back, you know, the pendulum swings a little bit of so that as, uh, is anything. Um, and yeah, you know, the stuff is really, really impressive. Obviously, uh, he hasn't faced advanced competition. I don't think the Shapiro Atkins, uh, Blue Jays are, are of the same mind as the Anthopolis era when it's like, well, once you're in double A, you're basically, you know, a step away from the show. And then triple A is your taxi squad. They seem to kind of, uh, they, they put, you know, Jordan Groshans is at, uh, is, is at triple A. Uh, Gabriel Moreno was at, uh, was at triple A. Like they're, they're using Buffalo less like, like just a dumping ground for, for angry guys who, uh, who are once in the show and want to get back or even having cups of coffee. So, uh, you know, the double A may not be as significant in that sense, but, you know, if the stuff plays the way that it's looked against the high A competition, the way that the stuff just like looks in the, 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 met, the, the data from StatCast and all of that stuff in the scouting eyes, um, he'll probably do really well in double A get it, and, and can continue to move quickly. And because also he's missed so much time, I think that the, the, the innings that he's able to log this year are maybe an, an issue. And he's been starting, you know, he has obviously they can manage innings uh, a lot better at lower levels and in the minors in general. But uh, he could run in at some point to, uh, to a cap on innings if, as a starter. I don't know, to be honest, what, uh, if, that, if there's anything, you know, hardly hard in place what they think about that, but I'm just just thinking about his health, thinking about the fact that he missed a year with with the ACL, that he missed that he missed a year with Tommy John, very very recently. Both those, uh, I would suspect that he won't be able to. You know, they're not going to have him throw 200 innings, which means that a flip to the bullpen at some point later on in the season uh, could work. You know, could work to continue to have him pitch while 
you know, limiting his innings and sort of keeping him under under the towards the level where they would like him to be, which uh, could work real well for everybody involved. And uh, you know, the stuff is uh, is tantalizing, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think that the thing that you mentioned there about impossible innings limit, limit and how the bullpen could work there—that's an important piece of the puzzle. He's basically only worked as a starter, uh, even in the Cuban leagues. So, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, if he's topping out at 99 as a starter, maybe you can get even a little bit more juice than that out of him in the bullpen. He's got a really good curveball. Um, it's kind of, it's low 80s. Like normally you don't see that much of the velocity gap on it, but there are a few guys who do it. It's not a red flag necessarily. I did some looking into the, the stack assets available for him, which is really only three of his appearances. But the spin rate on his curveball would be sort of 63rd percentile for MLB pitchers. And the break on it vertically is kind of an inch above average. So, you know, it's nothing crazy. I'm not, you know, pitching you on the next unbelievable secondary pitch. But it seems like an MLB caliber pitch uh, to go along with that huge fastball. So a lot can happen. He could struggle at double A. He could continue to experience really nasty injury luck. But if you're a Blue Jays fan, I think that that's a nice name to file away um, for the rest of the season as someone who could be sort of that surprise contributor down the stretch. Um, you know, again, you, know, you don't want to oversell a guy who's got sort of 35 uh, minor league innings to his name, but I remember saying something pretty similar about Alec Manoa at one point. Yeah, I, it, it definitely bears watching because, you know, I mean, he's on the he's on the path that he's up in double-A right now. You know, you want to, he would have to be a September call-up, I guess. Uh, so we got, I mean, geez, we only had a couple months till September, basically. Um, so yeah, uh, he, if he ex- excels at double A, you might see him in Buffalo for a taste and then it would be totally not surprising at all to see him, uh, uh, come and join the Jays in September. And then obviously, you know, with the, the less of a need for starters in a potential playoff situation, you can pack more bullpen arms back there. Um, and he absolutely could be a very, very interesting and useful piece. I mean, they threw Nate Pearson into the fire against the Rays, right, when they were there in 2020. Um, he's, uh, you know, there, there's no reason they, should, they wouldn't be able to do that again. All right. Well, I, I don't know if that gets official prospect of Blue Jays happy hour status. We're not going to provide breathless updates on every single appearance for him. Uh, but again, a name to file away and someone I wouldn't be surprised about if we're talking about him later in the year. Also, I think he's. I think he might start on Thursday. So when we come back on Thursday, maybe we um, will give you a breath. We do. We might. Yeah. Making a liar of me already. Uh, okay, that's <laughs> fine. That's okay. Um, no, we'll leave it there. Thanks everyone for tuning in live. People who come to the show later, we appreciate you too. Continue to subscribe and rate and review and do all that cool stuff. And we will be talking to you again on Thursday. All right. Thank you very much, everybody.